John chapter 17. If you are unaware that we are going through the gospel according to John on Sunday mornings, then you have not been here for the last four years. (laughs) I never thought it would take this long, but here we are. And we've now been in chapter 17 for several months. The entire chapter is our Lord praying. We find Jesus praying for himself in verses 1 through 5. He then prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. And we see in verses 20 through 26, he prays for us. He prays for future believers. With that in mind here, let's read verses 20 through 26 as we begin a new section of this prayer. The Bible says in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. So as we read those verses, I think we can see right away that there is a desire on Christ's part for us to be unified. But we're not going to talk about that this morning. I got hung up in verse 20. I believe it's packed with some great truths that we need to draw out. This will be a different message than I typically would give. I think it's just good to have these little reminders every now and then as we go through the Word of God just to stay with it. And verse 20 to me is pointing that out. So let's take time this morning to consider four things from verse 20. The things I notice here, when we consider Jesus praying as He's looking down the road into the future, is I see, number one, that God blesses obedience. Number two, that His truth cannot be stopped. I also see, number three, that His church cannot be stopped. And lastly, God's Word will always remain effective. Remember how Jesus prayed in the three verses before our text. He prayed for His remaining disciples to be sanctified. He's going to send them out into the world with the truth of the Word of God that they might point others to Christ. They're going to go and preach the gospel to a lost and dying world with the hopes of reaching them for the cause of Christ. We find in verse 20 the success that these men would have. Jesus is looking to the future and He's already talking about these who are going to be saved. In other words, their mission was going to be successful. They would go into the world. They would go with the truth of of God. And they would be effective as they went as a result. They were obedient to go into the world and preach. And because of that obedience, 
God was going to bless them. Now, what's amazing to me is how these early Christians remained obedient in the face of overwhelming persecution. We know nothing of the extent of what they had to stand up to. I want to give you just a little taste. Except for John the Beloved, who we are told they tried to kill. The other ten apostles would be martyred for their obedience. The Apostle Paul, who would come as an apostle born out of due time, he would also be martyred for his faith. The Roman Caesar Nero was in power when many of these epistles were being written in our Bible. And Nero was an extremely wicked man. You think it'd be bad if Bernie Sanders got elected. All right, I just offended every Democrat in the room, sorry. If you're a socialist, we love you, we're glad you're here. Um, When you get saved, you'll change, amen. He was a very wicked man. Long story short, Rome was set on fire in July of AD 64, and it ended up being a very destructive, massive fire. And most believe Nero was the one who started the fire. He supposedly was wanting to make room for his golden house, as it's known. And on that property, he would also erect a 90-foot statue of himself. How's that for an ego? Amen. And it, it said that this area was like one to 300 acres that he built this thing, but that's really not here or there. But anyway, he blamed Christians for the fire, and he punished them mercilessly. He would have Christians brought on trial, and then he would convict them as arsonists. And then they would be punished. And some of the punishments would include things like they would be wrapped in animal skins so that the dogs would devour them. It became a sport for Christians to be killed. He would have these Christians crucified. He would put them on a stake after they'd been dipped in this flammable substance and He would light their bodies on fire to light His garden as they would have their sinful parties. This is a very wicked man. We can barely imagine what it must have been like to be a Christian in those days. The persecution was so severe, and yet they retained their faith. And despite their circumstances, they were overwhelmingly obedient, and God blessed their efforts as a result. And and I want you to know, this kind of persecution went on some 200, 300 years into the Roman Empire. When I study the martyrs, I wonder, what is our problem? What is our problem? We'd rather be tuned into our favorite show. Well, preacher, you know you're asking us to do press work on Monday, and that's Monday Night Football. I wish that was a joke. Amen. I mean, these people were being killed in the worst of ways. They were being mistreated. They were being falsely accused. They retained their faith and they kept going. They were obedient. And here we are. Well, I'm just tired because I had to work. Oh, bless your heart. Amen. That's good preaching, preacher. What is our problem? Why do we seem to have such an issue with simple obedience when we have it so good? We are very blessed still in America. We got the best governor in the, in the United States. We've had it very good in South Dakota is what I'm saying. 
what is our problem? Why aren't we more effective in America with the freedoms that we still enjoy? It's almost as if Jesus is saying that that city is going to rise up in the judgment to condemn what's happening in America. These early Christians understood obedience, and their obedience led to their pursuit of sanctification, and their continued obedience in the pursuit of sanctification led to their effectiveness. It's amazing what God can do through those who are sold out for Christ. What could God do through this body of believers if we were all obedient to go and preach to the lost? What would happen if we were all obedient to the process of sanctification? What could God do if we would just take Him at His word and obey it? Our Lord sent them into the world and they went. He commanded them to preach and they preached. He told them they would have to trust in Him and they trusted Him. And God blessed them immensely. And I'm just trying to say right here, listen, let's not overcomplicate God's work in this world. We try to overcomplicate it. Listen, these were men that were not educated. They had not been to seminary. They did not have all these qualifications hanging on the wall. And yet God used them to turn the world upside down. These were hardened fishermen. They had calluses on their hands. Some were tax collectors. And God brought together this little ragtag bunch. And through them, He was able to do great and mighty things because they were just very simply obedient. Jesus said, I want you to be sanctified because I want to send you out in the world. And guess what we find in verse 20? They did in fact go in the world because Jesus said, there are going to be those who are going to believe because of their word. They were just obedient. They didn't make up excuses. So let's not overcomplicate this. It just comes down to simple obedience to the Word of God. And what you are obedient to this morning is how you are identified. The Bible says in Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? You see, whatever and whoever you are yielding yourself to obey, that's whose servant you are. Where's your service today? Do you obey the things of this world or do you obey the things of God? And your answer to that question is who you are serving. You cannot serve God in man. You cannot have two masters. And if we want to be affected and if we want to be blessed, then we must be obedient to God. And once we are obedient to God what we will find is we are naturally doing those things that are in compliance with God's Word because we're obedient to go to the Word and find out what's going on. So if you can say that you're not serving Him like you want to or you are not serving Him like you know you should, then simple logic here would tell us that you're not being obedient to the Lord. That's simple enough, amen? And if we apply this thought to us as a church body, then how would you rate our obedience? How would you rate God's blessing upon this body of believers? If you want our church to be effective, and if we want our church to be quote-unquote successful, 
then it comes down to our obedience for Christ. Galatians 3.1, Paul asked the question, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth? Their lack of obeying the truth or their lack of obeying God's Word is called being bewitched. They became enamored with something other than the truth. And this departure from obeying the truth, it negatively affected the churches in Galatia. Paul went on to write in Galatians 5, 7, and 8. He says, "Ye did run well. You were running well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Hey, Galatians churches, what happened to you guys? You were running well. Somebody came along and persuaded them of a different way. Something out of bounds of God's Word. And if you know the book of Galatians, they were adding to salvation. And I think in our cases, in most American churches, what tends to hinder us is just very simply this, complacency. We're good at coming to church. Half of you look good doing it. Tough crowd this morning. We're good at checking the box. We, we understand all that, but I think we can just kind of get complacent as we go. At one time, they were obedient to the truth. They were running their race well. But when they became persuaded of a different way, and I want you to hang on to this because we're going to tie a ribbon over it in that idea here in a little bit. They became persuaded of a different way, which was never of the Lord, and they departed from the truth. They stopped obeying the truth, and they were hindered in their race as a result. So what kind of church do we want Liberty Baptist Tabernacle to be? Do you think about these things at all? Do we want to see God do great and mighty things through us? Do we want to see what God can do through a people who will just be obedient to His truth? You say, well, I am obedient. I'm here. What are you doing on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Let's not allow any teaching contrary to this Bible enter our fellowship. I'm not saying that we're going to beat people upside the head who don't agree with us. I'm just saying when we gather in here, we're going to gather doctrinally sound. We don't need to let anything in that's going to take us away from the truth. We're not even to entertain it. Paul said, I didn't even entertain it for an hour when it came to what was happening over in Galatia. And then let's just be obedient to go into the world. And so we have to be obedient. The next thing I see in verse 20 is when we are obedient to the Lord and His Word, the truth cannot be stopped. And again, we have to take note, Jesus is praying towards the future here. So it's going to be successful. Jesus prayed this prayer just shy of 2,000 years ago now. (laughs) Here we are in 2020 and we're still meeting together. We're still gathering around the Word of God. It cannot be stopped. It's foolishness to the world. But here we are. The truth is unstoppable. Nothing down through the centuries has ever been able to completely snuff out the Word of God. In every successive generation, the Word of God has never been stopped, even though there have been multiple attempts. Time wouldn't allow to get into all those. I'll just highlight some of the major ones. Uh, After some 250 years of persecution in the early church, 
the Roman Emperor Diocletian, in February 303 A.D., he issued a decree that the churches in the Roman Empire and every copy they could find of Christian writings were to be destroyed. And he went on this mission and they started burning churches and they started burning the Word of God all across the Roman Empire. Two years later, Diocletian declared that he had completely exterminated Christian writings from off the face of the earth. <laughs> and obviously he was wrong. In fact, when Constantine came into power, he started offering a reward for those who had a copy of the Word of God. And within 25 hours, 50 copies showed up at his door. You can't destroy it. You cannot get rid of it. It is unstoppable. Through the Dark Ages, the Catholic Church burned Bibles. They killed those who thought to obey, uh, sought to obey God's Word contrary to their teachings. They were uh, many martyrs during that time. During the Reformation, the Catholic Church was burning English Bibles. And then they were burning those who were trying to uh, translate the Bible into English. And believe me when I say there's been many attempts down through the years to rid the earth of the Word of God. But for sake of time, I'm going to mention the most common one that you've probably heard, and that is from the French infidel named Voltaire. In 1764, he wrote, The Bible, that is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogues teach and young children are made to learn by heart. We are living in the twilight of Christianity. End quote. It is said he predicted that after his death, within a hundred years, the Bible would be nothing more than antiquity. Well, only 58 years after his death, William Ackworth of the British and Foreign Bible Society, he saw Voltaire's former residence in Geneva, Switzerland, and it was being used as a Bible distribution center. <laughs> and to add insult to injury, the printing press that Voltaire used to print his blasphemous works was now being used to print the Word of God. Now here's the kicker. They were using the paper that he bought. Many have tried to eradicate the Word of God. They're dead and gone. The Bible still stands. Man can try all they want, but they cannot overthrow the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 say, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth. The flower thereof falleth away. But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The truth of God's Word will never be stopped, and we must never stop proclaiming the Word of truth. This is part of our obedience as we are going into the world, and I'm so glad that we're not just sent into the world, but we're sent in the world with our sword. We're sent in the world with a Word of God to guide us and to help us, to tell us what's right, to tell us what's wrong. Because churches are the original stewards of the truth of God's Word, then I'm also taking from verse 20 that the church will never be stopped. Did you hear what I said? The church of the living God will never be stopped. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of truth. Amen. The reason we have a printing press... It's because this man got under a burden and the folks that were in this church at that time, they became convicted that it was God who gave the church's oversight of the distribution of His Word. God did not give the Word of God to the publishing houses to profit off of. They don't care about the sanctity of the Word of God. 
They care about turning a profit. Don't believe me, there's like some 200 English versions out there. That's why we print the Word of God here. Because God has entrusted us to be the stewards of His Word. It cannot be stopped. That's why we give it away for free. We don't make a dime. And that's why we don't charge missionaries anything to print and ship. Hallelujah. I see true churches as being unstoppable in this context because the men Jesus were sending out were all part of the first church that He established. Jesus called these men out. He said, follow me. And that's what a church is, a called out assembly. And from that point on, what we find in the Word of God is it's the local church that is sending people out. They are sending obedient, sanctified believers to proclaim His truth in the world and to plant churches. My purpose is never to be offensive, but this is why I don't support parachurch organizations. I will not give them a dime. Why? There is no local church oversight. While I believe God can use anyone as they give the Word of God, and He certainly does, in terms of missions and establishing works of God, it is to be through the local church. It was the local church in Antioch that called Paul and Barnabas to head west and proclaim the gospel and plant churches as they went. But what are we witnessing today? There's all kinds of organizations out there that have no church oversight. Some of you, this doesn't matter to you, that's fine, just sleep on. But I get all the, what I call Christian junk mail all the time. And it's a lot of these organizations wanting your money. Most of these organizations, they advertise themselves as evangelistic, missions-minded. But I want to tell you this morning, if you want to support reaching more people for Christ then you do so through your local church. This is why we support missionaries around the world. This is why we support United States missions, our church planters. We have a missions program. You can give. By the way, you can give in the lockbox back there. We still want your money even though we're not passing the plate. And so you can give through your local church. That's how God has designed it. If you don't believe me, go and read the Bible. That's how Paul's needs were being met. It wasn't through some organization that it was through the local church. It was the church that was given the great commission. God didn't give it to organizations. Why? Because organizations will come and go, but the church of God will stand until He returns. And that's why He's given the great commission to the church. This is why the true church will never be stopped because Christ is at the head. It is His body. Ephesians 1, and 23 say that God had put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body. You cannot stop the true church of God. You cannot stop it. You say, well, what happens if we ever close our doors? I'll tell you what happened. We imploded. Had nothing to do with the world. Because somebody got bitter, somebody caused division, something happened internally. That's what happens. And if we get driven underground, we get driven underground. I hope you can see how all of this is starting to come together. We are to be obedient to go into the world. 
We are to go with the truth of God's Word. The local church is the means by which God has chosen to send out those obedient believers to proclaim His Word. And can I just say real quick, it takes obedient believers to have an obedient church. Because you may hear something like this and say, yeah, I do want to have a church like that. Where Listen, you've got to get obedient. The last thing I want to highlight from verse 20 of our text is that God's Word will always remain effective. After nearly 2,000 years, we find ourselves still using the Word of God. It is our final authority, we say, for faith and practice. We have no business moving away from this Bible. And just to dig a little bit deeper, no business moving away from the King James Bible. We are to identify with the Word of God so closely that Jesus' prayer here in verse 20 at the end says that they shall believe on me through their word. Well, isn't that interesting? Because in verse 17, he called it God's word. And now he says they're going to be out there preaching and, and people are going to believe on me through their word. Of course, we understand it's God's word. There's no argument about that. But we are to make it our own, if you will. We are to so identify with the word of God that our spoken word mirrors His written word. And the reason I have to highlight this point, I feel, is to say we are never to deviate from God's word or God's ways. And it's probably just a reminder for most of, uh, of us this morning, but God's word still works. God's ways still work. And when we put all these points together, we can see the glaring departure from truth that we are witnessing in America today. And it's affected the Christian landscape. These so-called churches may be drawing a crowd. In fact, some draw tens of thousands every week. But don't fall for the false facade. Because what they have done is they have replaced the Word of God with man's philosophy. One pastor from these types of churches, and I do my best to never mention names from the pulpit. If you want his name, come and see me. One of these pastors, if I said his name, you'd probably know it. He said this, If we're going to reach the unchurched, underchurched, dechurched, and postchurched with the gospel in a culture that's trending post-Christian, we must rethink our approach. You say, well, that's... That's okay. Well, listen to what else he says. He goes on to say that our faith is not to be rooted in a book. Pastors, 45,000 people across multiple campuses. He says we should not appeal to people on the basis of scriptural authority. He says we need to unhitch our faith from the Old Testament. But this isn't what Jesus taught. Jesus said in John 5.39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. What Scriptures did He have when He said that? The Old Testament. He goes on to say in that chapter, in verses 46 and 47, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed Me, for he wrote of Me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe My words? Jesus is pretty clear that our faith is in fact taught in the Old Testament. 
the departure from the Word of God from churches is amazing to me. And I just want to encourage us this morning, let's stay with this old book. Listen, you say, well, it's not going to be culturally relevant. Because that's the buzzword today. We've got to be relevant. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. I don't care what generation you go to in history, the Bible has never been relevant to the culture. It's never set well with sinners. Amen. And we're living in this world where we're being told that we have to evolve into some sort of relevancy so that we can reach the world. And I want to tell you, we just got to stay with the Word of God. Jesus said, I don't change. My Word doesn't change. It still works in 2020. Say, well, don't you want to reach people? Yeah. But I want a clear conscience with God that I didn't have to come up with something in order to get them here. Hope you understand what I'm saying. We just got to stay with it. God's ways still work. Just consider what Jesus says in His prayer here in John chapter 17 alone. Jesus said at the end of verse 6 that His disciples have kept God's Word. He said in verse 8 that He had given them the words which God had given Him and that His disciples had received them. In verse 14, Jesus said, I have given them Thy Word. Verse 17, He said, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And now in verse 20, He said, There's going to be people who believe, but they're going to believe because of My Word. Why all the emphasis by Jesus upon the Word of God? Because it is the Word of God that is always effective. Our methods are not always effective. Our plans and our programs are not always effective. And I thank God for some of that. But it is the Word of God which is effective. If we want to reach the heart of a sinner. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. See, we don't need our own ideas and our own philosophies. So if this modern movement isn't giving people the Word of God, then what are they giving them? This is why Jesus is standing outside of the Laodicean church saying, can I come in? He's not in the church. So what happens if they don't have the Word of God? Well, they end up being left to their own ways. The Bible says twice in Proverbs that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ends thereof are the ways of death. We must have the Word of God to tell us what is right and wrong. We must have the Word of God to guide us into how to live our lives and to structure our church. We don't need to incorporate gimmicks. I don't need a zip line in here to the platform. Look it up. That's what's happening in churches. We don't need to install a water slide to come down into the baptistry for baptism. Look it up. That's what's happening in the church. It's insanity. It's insanity. The Bible cautions us not to meddle with them that are given to change. We are encouraged in the Bible to stay with the old paths. Now, I didn't mean to get hung up in this verse. The Lord let me know last night. 
I love when the Lord does that. Lord, I know what I'm going to preach. No, you don't. I can only assume God wanted us to hear, just stay with it. Just stay faithful. We don't need to look to the world to see how the church wants to have church. We don't need to take a survey on what they feel is going to make them most comfortable when they come in here. You know why they're not comfortable? Because they're lost. We need to see what God says to do and just do that faithfully. Any football fans in here? I know we're all growing very tired of football right now because of all the political stuff. And it's a shame everything's getting politicized. But I was watching the Rams game, and their coach said, and they were showing footage of how they ran a play-action play. It looks identical to the run play. And he said, you know what we're going to do? We're not going to do a whole bunch of fancy stuff, but we're going to find a few things, and we're going to do them really well. And that's what we need to do. We don't have to try to find all these gimmick and trick plays. We just need to find what the Word of God says and do it really well. For the record, I am not a Rams fan. I hate to go on record and tell you I'm a Falcons fan, but once again, they blew it. So in this verse, we see the need for simple obedience and being sent into the world by the Lord. We need to proclaim God's truth. We need to do so under the guidance of the local church. And we must stay with God's way. This is what God blesses. Those who have departed. And I don't, I don't mean from here, although my mind went to somebody from here. I'll just tell you without compromising any information. Probably about a month and a half ago, maybe two, got a letter. And uh, it was right after coronavirus, so I guess it's been a little bit longer now. And, um, hey, we've decided to broaden our view of Christianity. We won't be back. And, of course, I loved them, and I said, you know, the door's always open for you to come back. We love you. We want you here, and I hope God directs you back. I don't think this is God's will. And I have my suspicions on what happened, but I'm trying to tell you, look, we don't need a broader view. We just need the view of the Bible. But those churches who have departed, they may give the appearance of God's blessing, but I want you to know it's not genuine. And I want you to be assured our blessings are going to come from God, not by our own resourcefulness. I think you know how bad I want a building. Man, brother, I've been wanting to go get a loan. No, we need to stick with God. When He's ready, the funds come in. You understand what I'm saying? We want, to, we want to know it's God blessing us and not our own resourcefulness. And if we will do what these men did, we will see another generation that will rise up and take our place one day. Amen. If we obey, stay with truth, stay with church, stay with God's way, then we will experience something real and not something that we have manufactured ourselves. Just stay with God. Stay with His Word. We need to be obedient to God and watch as God does what He does. We need to see what God can do 
We need to see what worldly churches are saying God can no longer do. It has been my prayer. I have wanted our area to see a demonstration of Christianity that is holy. And listen, I'm not one of these fighting... I'm not against most of these people. I'm just saying, I want, I want God to use us to show people that His Word is still true. Amen. That He still blesses those who will worship Him in the beauty of holiness. We need to stay with the old past. We need to stay with the old book. Amen. I know this was a different kind of sermon. But we're going to go to prayer and then I'm going to ask you to stand if the Lord spoke to you about our church or about anything. You can come to the altar. Let's stand. Let's pray.